So I got to be honest um, um, with, with how Tammy just presented. Honestly, I feel like we could all go home right now. I feel like we've had church already. That was so powerful and, and just wonderful to hear. So um, we're not ending. We're going to still hear all this. But <clears throat> uh, a few things before we get into the new series and message itself. It's been a solid, exciting ministry weekend for me, uh, not only being able to bring the message this morning, but... Uh, yesterday, I got to officiate a wedding of, uh, he's 26 now, but I've known him since seventh grade. Just a very rewarding, uh, wonderful day. And, but before that, um, and I wish I had a picture, but I don't, don't have pictures yet, but got to baptize uh, someone here yesterday afternoon named Jeff Wagner. He and his family, longtime attenders here, so we're just always thrilled when someone says yes to Jesus and is obedient in that way. Yeah, that's appropriate. <clears throat> Uh, and a couple things on the prayer side of the house. One, uh, many of you have been following closely our senior minister, Roger Hendricks' uh, journey as he makes his way toward an eventual bone marrow transplant. Many of you heard and read there was yet another delay this past week. So I know we had some uh, prayer events and some schedules on the calendar. Consider those postponed. You guys will all be in the loop as far as when we're able to reschedule those. And also on the prayer side of the house, uh, we have always um, tried to do our best to rely on prayer and lean into that discipline where appropriate, which is just about everywhere. Uh, but just a reminder, last week uh, we kind of debuted just a specialized area in the lobby for prayer. I know uh, a number of people took advantage of that uh, last week. Just again, if you are uh, prompted by something, challenged by something, feeling encouraged, just want a place to praise, just out here in the lobby in that alcove. There's prayer kind of on the wall. If you want or need prayer of any kind, I know we'll have people, one even right now, but also after services, that place is for you. We want to, uh, again, highlight and put prayer front and center at Southwest. So uh, just know that is going on. Let me pray briefly and then go straight into this message. So pray with me. Father, there is much to praise you for, and we do that, much to thank you for, and we do that. Um, we thank you for our mission partnerships. We thank you how you continue to move in ways that we never see coming and in ways that uh, we can't even imagine. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, for the rest of our time together and for this whole series, I pray that with a topic, and we are talking generosity, we are talking money, which and for some of us can make us shut down. So I pray for the, this message and following that our hearts could be softened, that our minds could be sharp to hear what your word has to say about, honestly, a spot that can be sensitive. So we pray for your spirit moving and that we would have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there was once a man who was terminal and he decided that he wanted to take his money with him. So he called his pastor, his doctor, and his lawyer in, and he gave them each $250,000 in cash with specific instructions to place the money in the casket with him before he was buried. Well, the man passes, and each of the men went to his casket and paid their respects and placed an envelope in the casket with him. But after the funeral, the pastor met with the doctor and the lawyer. He says, guys, I have a confession to make. Um, <clears throat> Our friend asked us to put all that money in the casket, but we're in a building program at church, and I have to say, I took $75,000 of that money, and I put it to use there. But I put the remainder of the money in the casket. Well, the doctor says, hey, I feel guilty too. Uh, I sponsor a medical clinic, and because of funding cutbacks, we needed a new x-ray machine. So I took $125,000 of the money, but I put the rest in the casket too. And the lawyer said, I am shocked. Our friend asked us to fulfill his wishes. I put a check in for the entire amount. 
I'm sure we all wish we had a rich friend like that, but the point of this series is we have a God who is far greater and far richer. So we're beginning this three-week series entitled, In Blank We Trust. And this series, as I indicated in my prayer, is largely dealing with a topic that churches either talk way too much about or not nearly enough about, that being money. And I'll pause here to say, if you are newer to Southwest, if you are a guest with us, or also, if you have not said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have permission to kind of take on the observer role here. This is largely targeted at those who call Southwest Church home. In Southwest, we don't talk about money nearly enough. Money can make us weird. It can make us uncomfortable. It's no surprise, or maybe it is, that financial issues and stress is the number one factor driving most divorces. About 60% of households live paycheck to paycheck, and a staggering 73% of millennials do so. And maybe you grew up in a house where money wasn't discussed in polite conversation. And many of us, despite calling ourselves Jesus followers, have made it a point to grow in the likeness of Jesus in most aspects of our lives, except our finances. Our Connections Minister Rocky, who was up here earlier, he has said many times that many of us, when we were fully immersed in baptism, our entire bodies went underwater, except we were holding our wallets and pocketbooks up in the air. And to cautiously use political language and paint with a broad brush, a weakness of many left-leaning Christians is a position that says, Jesus, I love you, but keep your hands off my morals. And a weakness of many right-leaning Christians is a position that says, Jesus, I love you, but keep your hands off my money. Well, in the eyes of the world, the point of money is to help us meet our needs and then have fun with the rest. And by the way, the more money, the better, right? Well, for the Jesus follower, we're supposed to think about money differently. A couple of verses. From 1 Chronicles, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. And from Psalm 24, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Well, bringing it into the New Testament, Jesus told about 40 parables and they, they're recorded there in the Gospels. And about a quarter of those parables, depending how you define parables and how you count it, but about a quarter of those parables have to do with money. And we're going to read one of those parables today from Matthew 25. Now, a common uh, theme of most, if not all, parables is that they teach and convey how does the kingdom of God work as opposed to uh, earthly kingdoms and governments. How does the kingdom of God work? And it works differently than the world does. Well, in this story, again, from Matthew 25, Jesus teaches that God, as master here in this story, distributes his resources to us, his servants, to be used for his purposes. Again, Matthew 25, if you want to follow along, we'll have it on screen, but starting in verse 14, here's how it reads. Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. So this is how God looks at things. You may not, but he does. If you have been rescued by Jesus, then you are a steward of everything God has placed in your care. 
if you have said yes to Jesus. Now, stewards, they were managers of their master's wealth, and everything that they had came from their master, even though it looked to be their property, their things. They used his wealth, they lived off it, they invested it. But they would ultimately be called to give an account of how business was going. We'll read how that goes. Verse 16. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Well, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Well, the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. And the master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So pausing, these two servants doubled what was given to them, and the master praised them and blessed them with even more than he had given them originally. Now with all three of these servants, the master trusted that they could handle well what never belonged to them in the first place. And he trusted that they would be faithful and treat the money wisely. So they're talking about silver. Some translation might use a talent as a, as a label. Uh, a talent was a full year's wages. So think about uh, what you make in your household. So that would be equal to a talent. So to one servant, he gave five times that amount, to another twice that amount, and to another just you know, one of those talents. Now even to the person who had one talent, the master made a huge, sizable investment, right? He took his resources and he entrusted them to these servants, all in keeping with uh, their abilities, what they were capable of doing. They were stewards of what he had given them. Now in our lives, if Jesus is Lord, everything we have, everything that we think, everything that we are, are gifts from him, and we are called to manage them and use them in a way that he wants. Well, as we read, the other two servants immediately put the master's resources to work for him. The last one's failure is obvious. He hid that wealth, and he returned it to the master untouched. We're going to read how that goes here in a moment. Now, we don't know if this last servant was jealous. Was he rebellious? Was he fearful? Was he just lazy? Maybe all of the above. But we do know that he was severely disciplined for this failure, to utilize what he had been given. Let's read how this goes. <clears throat> Verse 24. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, 
Even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Just like each one of these servants, every one of us has received deferring amounts from God. And here's the reality with that. Everyone in this room is blessed. You know, we can agree sometimes it's hard to keep this perspective or keep it in mind, but if you even have one car and you have a place to call home and you have family close, uh, you are in the top 5% of wealth holders on this planet. And from a practical standpoint, when compared to the world, every one of us here could be considered a five-talent-plus person. And some of us have even more than that. But think about this. We'll have it on the screen. Just because something is in your possession does not mean it is your possession. It belongs to God. And we should be grateful for the resources that God has given us. And honestly, most of us probably are very, very grateful. But a question is, with our resources, are we seeking to advance the agenda God has for the church, that being the spread of the gospel of Jesus? Are we seeking to leverage our resources to reach more people for Jesus, and not just as a church uh, body of believers, but even as individuals? Are we investing in things that matter to God, or are we investing in things that matter to us? Now, just like that one talent guy, if our focus is on us and we don't use what God has given us in a way that honors him, Scripture says that what we have can and will be taken away. A similar verse from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus says, When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. We would say, use what God has put into your care. You know, this story tells that the reason the master distributed his resources was because there was a work that could be done and that should be done. And so he handed out his resources to three capable people, confident in their abilities, and all three had incredible opportunity. They could leverage the master's resources for good, they could use them for evil, or they could just sit on it, do nothing with it. And that is just as much the case for us today. Just like the men in the story, we can leverage our resources for good, for kingdom-minded initiatives. We can pervert it by using it for something evil. We can waste it. We can hoard it. Or we can piddle it away on, we'll just say, shallow pursuits. Our stewardship, and that's just taking care and using what God has given us, is not just for a purpose. It's given, our resource given with an expectation you know, this master in the parable, he was able to leave on a long journey because he had confidence in each of these servants' ability. And so the master blessed them with these resources so that they could be a blessing in return. This three-week series in Blank We Trust, um, it's a small series. Just so you know, it is not all about money, though it is the biggest topic that we are going to cover. And as the, staff was, the ministry staff was planning this message series uh, a number of weeks ago, one of the goals we had is that by the end of the month, by the end of June, by the end of the series, that each of you will feel called, compelled to give in a way or a debt that you never have before. And that might be financially, but not necessarily. We'll speak to that here in a moment. But some here, some of you are incredibly 
generous financially. You know, you give 10% and beyond. But even with that, if that falls into you, there's some here, again, unbelievably financially generous. But you have not yet served anywhere. God has given you gifts and abilities to use in relationships with people. I would encourage you, make a decision to start using them. Everyone here has something that can be used for the glory of God. And you can use them in the work of the church, the ministries that we are carrying out week in, week out. You can use them in everyday life as you're functioning as uh, the church, the light in this world. But when the church is serving together and everyone is working together for the cause of Jesus, her witness is magnified and becomes quickly known in the community, quickly known in Springboro and the world. So those who are incredibly financially generous, thank you, thank you, thank you. But those who are incredibly financially generous and have not yet served anywhere, I would ask, decide to use your gifts and talents and service to the Lord as well. Others here would call themselves committed, at least when they're able to be here. Uh, honestly, some have an attitude that says, you know, the church is going to get one hour of my week and that's it. And some volunteer in Kidman, which again, thank you. Um, I, I used to serve back there one time a month, and it was a stretch for me, but wanted to be supportive. But some even said, hey, if I'm serving one hour and I'm not in the adult service, I'm going to go home. You're not going to get two hours of my Sunday morning. Some of you need to consider, some of you need to invest your time. And I know there's a limited amount of that, but we all have the same 24 hours in a day, right? By giving the church your bare minimum of time, you are cheating yourself and others as far as the kingdom impact that you could be making. But both within the church and the community, there are opportunities to serve others in the name of Jesus and to be stewards of the time entrusted to you. Then there's another group. Some here are so, so, so committed to Southwest Church. You use your gifts well. You serve hours upon hours. If, something need, if someone needs something, you're there. You pray for our ministries and that we could impact the community and the world, and you do so fervently. But you haven't trusted God with your money yet. Let me talk about tithes and offerings. There is a difference between a tithe and an offering. Uh, a tithe is the beginning point for giving back to God in our finances. That is 10% of all our income. And an offering is something beyond that, an additional act of sacrifice and love. Our mission as a church here is that we are following Jesus and making disciples. That is our mission. It has been our mission for uh, a number of years. No person grows in their discipleship with Jesus until there is sacrifice. I'll say this. Tithing is not hard. It's just gutsy. It's trusting God rather than the money you have in the bank. And here's a key truth, and we know this to be true. The more money you make, the harder it is to tithe to God. And tithing is a true test of whether you are a relentless steward for God or simply are you paying lip service to him and hiding what he's given you in the ground. But by the way, there is a blessing on the other side of tithing. Get this from Malachi, famous verse. Says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in, the temp in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, 
I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. This is God saying this. If you tithe, this is what happens. God says, try it. God says, put me to the test. How often does God say that? As a steward of all that God has given to us, our prayer should be, Lord, what do you want to do through our family to accomplish your goals through the church and the kingdom in this world? Uh, so my wife and I, uh, we have to wash the hands of our almost three-month-old daughter, Heidi, on a regular basis because uh, babies, you know, they tend to uh, have their fists clenched or at least balled up almost all the time, and then their fingers and palms get gunky and messy. Just, just got to clean their hands all the time. But how many of us have our fists clenched and balled up around our money? God would say you don't have to. <clears throat> God is saying, open up those hands. <clears throat> Someone once said this, you can fake just about any, everything there is about Christianity, but you cannot fake real generosity. Uh, honestly, everyone, at Southwest, we have a healthy ministry budget, and you can see, depending if you, you know, see a slide on the screen or look in the bulletin, we bring in an average of about $20,000 each Sunday, which, again, that is generous. We are uh, doing really, really well, and that is thanks in large part to your discipleship in Jesus. So thank you for your part. But I kind of want to start landing the plane to uh, speak to those who are under 40 years old. Those of you in, our, in your 20s, those of us in our 30s, when it comes to that, just uniquely here at Southwest, if I can be so direct, those of us in our 20s and 30s, we are not yet doing our part in being faithful in this way. When it comes to our money, we are giving very little, if anything at all. Again, that 20000 roughly weekly, again, thank you, thank you, thank you for all your parts. But that's mainly coming from uh, Gen X. That's mainly coming from Gen X and the baby boomers. And I get it. They are older. They're more financially secure. They have better jobs. They have higher salaries. They've been able to save. Maybe even they have uh, most or all their kids out of the house. And I certainly understand. I just turned 35. You've got the two-year-old, got the two-month-old, regular bills to pay, endless list of home improvement projects. We know how much groceries cost. And Ashley and I were trying to be responsible and save and invest for retirement and all that. <clears throat> but we tithe at the Beale House and we're able to give some offerings to other ministries that we believe in on top of that. And I don't say that to come across as more mature or more spiritual, but I want you to know that there isn't a hypocrite, at least in this way, speaking about tithing and finances this morning. And you know what? Ashley and I feel blessed beyond measure. We not only feel that way, but we are blessed beyond measure. And we're not rich, and certainly not by spring growth standards. It is not about who gives the most. It's about trusting God with what you have. I think of this from the Gospel of Luke. Luke 21, verse 1. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box, and then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. If you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, he expects you to be generous with what he has given you. Pray, listen, obey, you will be blessed. 
that is a scriptural promise. And one day, hopefully a long time from now, you will stand before the Father and hear him say what he says to every good and generous steward, well done, my good and faithful servant.